Hi, this is Ryan Bloom. On today's episode of the Fireside Chat, an honest, humble, and real conversation with Yale Appliances' Steve Shankoff. Now, many of you may know about Yale Appliance, New England's leading destination retailer for luxury appliances and all types of complimentary goods and services. Many of you may not know that Steve worked his way up in the family business, and not only that, had an incredible pivot from traditional advertising to stopping advertising altogether and focusing all efforts on original, honest, and meaningful content for his customers, and making sure that adding value and over-serving the customer was in every single aspect of his business through every staff member. It's a great conversation, it's a great business, and I'm inspired and happy and honored to know Steve and can say that Yale is a, an incredible client of Urban Bonfires. Enjoy the episode. Hi. Get some of those fancy um, speakers and the whole thing, huh? You're gonna sound a hell of a lot better than me on this. So fancy that I needed my 15 year old to show me how to use them. Well, I've got an IT guy standing by just in case, you know. Well, I feel very honored that you would even uh, dedicate those amount of resources. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to mislead you. He happened to be in the next room anyway, um, even before we started, but it's a gift that keeps giving. I'm actually the IT professional when I go to my folks place, you know, I'd uh, help them with their copier, their scanner and show them how to do basic stuff. So it's just like a generational thing. Completely agree. I, and it's really hard. I feel like I just kind of figured out Instagram and now it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something new. Hard to keep up with. Uh, my kids do it well, but it's hard to keep up with. It's, it's going really, really fast. You know what it is? It comes down to, um, especially if you're in marketing, it comes down to you've got endless amounts of things to do. But where, where, are your, where are your customers and what do you like to do? I mean, what are you good at is really what it comes down to. You can't be the Pinterest guy, the Instagram guy, the TikTok guy, the blog guy, the video guy, you know, the search professional, the AdWords professional. Pick two, pick three. I completely agree with you. And as you know, as obviously I've met you before and, and full disclosure to people listening, obviously we do business together. Yale is a, is a dealer partner of, of Urban Bonfires. But prior to today, I was doing my homework as, as I always do and looking at your LinkedIn uh, profile. And, and I saw the name uh, Gary Vaynerchuk that came up uh, is one of the interesting. And, and I've listened to a lot of his podcasting. I've read his books. I, I'm a big fan of his messaging. And to your point, he often says, where is your customer's attention? And you need to go where their actual attention is. And I think you basically just said exactly that. Pick, pick one or two or three platforms where your true audience is, and, and that's where you go, you go big. Where your true audience is. I agree. You know, it's funny is I've never read Gary Vanderchuk. I've never even read a blog post from him. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's odd. I should I should really do that because he's the guy behind all this stuff. He is um, he is a guy who just has happened over the last couple of years, and I found him by accident, as probably most do, who just says things that really really resonate with me. 
and I have deployed a lot of the advice or guidance or things that he says he's done in his career. And I can tell you from a personal satisfaction perspective, from a branding, marketing, storytelling, the things, the only things that I'm actually all that good at, um, it's made a huge difference. It has moved the needle for both my company and also for my own sense of enjoyment for what I do. Let me ask a question. Yeah. Is there a particular Gary Vanderchuk book that you like? Because I may as well. Yeah. My favorite book that he has written is called um, Left, 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 Right Hook. And the idea of that behind, you know, obviously a boxing term where, you know, jab, light, jab, light, and then really, you know, you clobber. And the idea he put into context is he thinks that one of the great mistakes made in the usage or deployment of social media is we go on and we ask and we try to sell right from the get-go. And his message is give, 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 give. And once you've established this idea of giving to the community, giving content, these things, then you're in a position to ask. And that's what that right hook is in that analogy. You know who you might like? Um, the guy who turned my career around, I think, is uh, Marcus Sheridan. Hmm. Um, Marcus wrote a book called They Ask, You Answer. And his story is, is uh, he's a big HubSpot guy. Mm-hmm. Um, his story was he started a pool company and then the Great Recession happened in 2008. So out of money, he just, he's a big believer in teaching, teaching, teaching. And, and one thing that we, I never do in social media is I never sell anything. I give people options, yep. let them make informed decisions. Because those, those days of saying, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, look at me, they're over. You know, media is so fragmented. Yep. It's kind of like, you know, if, if, if you go on and you talk to somebody about how to do something and you're competent in how you, it gets done, people will at least give you consideration mm-hmm. on, on doing their work, I think. And that's all you really need is consideration and execution. I fully and wholeheartedly agree, but, you know, to, to add to that, I think that the way that people today buy and interact with brands is incredibly different. And I think that, you know, people buy feelings, not products. It's, it's very hard to sell today on features. And it's what I talk about, and you know, all the time with, you know, it's not about, you know, the gauge of 304 stainless or the BTUs and all these things that the average consumer really doesn't know. It's not what's moving the needle. I believe it's the attachment to principles and story and all of the things that, anyway, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm sort of jumping around, but you know, it's a very good, I think it's a great segue into something that I wanted to talk to you about. Sure. And, or before I do, maybe get into this, um, I would love to hear a little bit of your personal story. Now, I know I've read quotes from you, you know, that you started cleaning light fixtures at seven years old in the store, and it's one of the reasons you don't sell them anymore. But I know this is obviously a a, a family business, and uh, there's a lot of history here, but can you tell me just at least in in a brief way, a little bit of the the Yale and the Steve story, please. Yeah. 
you, you know, it, it, it's funny because the story of Yale changes with every uh, funeral and wedding or, or any kind of get together. You know, I, I originally thought that my grandfather started in 1923. <clears throat> and then I'm thinking, how would he have done that? He would have had to been X amount of years. And he was a, a Polish immigrant who didn't know English. So the story was he started working at Yale around that time, 1923. And then in 1932, put all his money into buying it. Now, 1932 wasn't such a great year for anybody. It was the Great Great Depression. So I think I like that story a little bit better than just starting it because he had he took a real gamble. Um, yeah. So it passed on from my grandfather to my dad, and and then from my dad to me. And the three of us couldn't be more different. My 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 grandfather was a, a very funny, gregarious guy. My um. My father's a very analytical guy. I mean, he's a great numbers guy, good investor. And I'm more of a corporate guy. I mean, I, I, you can't, as you know, you can't be an island anymore and just be the guy. I could never do it. You work with, I mean, you work with Dennis and Leo a lot. Uh, yep. and, and Dennis and Leo are, you know, run more of the company than I do now. So the three of us can be different. As far as my personal experience here, you know, I, I got tapped on the shoulder at seven and was cleaning light fixtures and putting away pipe, inventorying, and then made my way into sales and and then graduated college, made my way into sales and then made my way into customer service, which was the hardest job I ever had. Customer service and repair and being at the really the front lines of people's frustration taught me it was really difficult, but taught me the most valuable lesson that what it comes down to is how your customers are satisfied at the end of the day. Selling is certainly a part of it. As Thomas Edison said, nothing happens without a sale. But without fully satisfied customers, you may not have a business. And it's, it's something that is now we measure in NPS all the time. Um, that's really, most of our business is really in the service install customer service part, not the sales part. Sales only is maybe represents 20 to 30% of the overall. The rest is all fulfillment. And uh, that was probably the, the, the toughest six or seven years of my life of going from sales and then learning the ramifications of that, getting the customer, getting the company into more into fulfillment and repair. And I, there are much better people doing it than me now, but um, that was a, a really tough pivot for me. Yeah. Um, but that's really, Yale's grown since then. Um, but really it was my grandfather, dad, and then, and then, and then me. And we, we are three very different people. I've read, recently or, or actually you know what let me even take a step back because i think it, it, it speaks very much to some of the points that, that you've just made and this idea of, of generational shift um and i i guess i'd like to give you a, a compliment obviously uh, as you know i have spent the vast majority of my last three years traveling and meeting with arguably the best of the best luxury appliance retailers in, in North America, uh, kitchen and bath trade shows. And I am someone who is um, very sensitive to messaging and environment. And 
the first time I came to Yale, and I actually remember when it was, it was February of 2019. Um, I flew down to Boston for the day and it was a snowy, cold day. And I walked into your uh, showroom in Dorchester to meet Dennis. And as I was presenting, I don't know if you remember this, but you happened to walk in and you sat in on about two or three minutes of what we were talking about. Um, and I could tell at that point that you deeply care about the different products and brands. You, 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 I think I got the sense that you left decision-making in the hands of your people, but that you really wanted to have an understanding and a, a deep care for the, the partners and brands that came under the Yale umbrella. And more to that point, I still today show pictures when I'm doing presentations of the stairway leading from your ground floor up to the second floor of your, of your showroom because it is very rare to see signage and, and how important the meaning of things are to you. And, and I wrote down just, a, I, I probably took 30 photographs that day, but you walk into a luxury appliance, arguably one of the best in the US and showing signs that show tremendous um, vulnerability and humanity in things like, you know, take the extra step every time or going above and beyond every single time, or even to the point of don't do your job, do the job. And you have these things everywhere, dozens and dozens of them. And personally, it really resonated with me. It, it, it spoke to the idea that even as a manufacturer coming in, these are the types of people that I want to do business with because it represents the way I think people should be treated and the way I try to instill values in, in my team, myself, my kids. I, I just, it really resonated. And I, and I just wanted to call attention to it because I think it's special. Yeah. You know what it comes down to is um, there's a lot of that type of messaging and you know, we talked about it before the call. I mean, storytelling and messaging is all great as long as the execution is, right? I mean, if you take a look at some of the worst transactions you've ever had, it's typically, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Please. You know, my, my airline flight was delayed, um, you know, going home. I have a four-year-old. Mm -hmm. So it was delayed from like 7 to 1041. Now, I remember... At one time, this airline said, did the same thing and then went back to the original time. So my dad nearly had a heart attack driving me to the airport. And then another time, it was like, if they canceled the flight at 1041. Mm -hmm. and, um, and when I tried to get a flight, I couldn't get a flight on for like five days. <laughs> so we look at that, we look at, and, and, and all the, and no, I'm not here to pick on the airlines because they have their own set of issues, especially now. But really what, what you try to do is, is, is make sure that everybody is empowered to do what's right to do for the customer. Because really what it comes down to is um, your business is not gonna be around without two things, good people in the organization who do the right thing by the customer. Yeah. And without those two things, um, you're not gonna be around in, in, in the short or long term. You know, if you take a look at, some of the, the best cases of, uh, say, like a, a Sears that actually had 2% of 
American GDP in 1950. In 1964, they fired the merchandising group, the people that really censored the customer. And now they go from 2% GDP to like really almost being out of business. Um, yeah. So, we, so for someone like me that owns 0% GDP of the company, it would happen a lot faster. And even in an internet age. So you really have, you have to say those things you have to believe those things and then you have to execute on those things because they're just sayings without any of that other stuff. Well, I, I agree. And, and I would say to you, I guess, as in a, in a complimentary way, even more challenging in a business model where much of the pricing structure is controlled in many ways by the manufacturer. A lot of companies have historically been able to differentiate through through pricing, through things like this. But you know, as we know today, in in most cases of luxury appliance, there there is a very tight control on pricing. So pricing as a differentiator almost impossible to do with the types of brands and and certain things that you offer. So it it has to be in order to stand out and add that level of value and be that generational, it almost has to be that defocusing from product and focusing really entirely on the customer experience in the way you've just described it. Yeah. Well, if you're selling tangible goods, even cars, there's different colors, different leathers, different sport interiors, and each dealer gets their own, you know, uh, my urban bonfire isn't going to be any different than anybody else's. So really what you have to do is you have to take that tangible product and make it intangible, right? And by being intangible, one of the things that we did 12 years ago is we stopped advertising mm -hmm. and we put really the, the money that we would spend on advertising on customer experience. So although my urban bonfires and well, you're a bad example because, you know, a Canadian company selling out, out, outdoor, um, hmm. outdoor cabinets, there's really not much. There's not much to you do most of the work, um, but you take a look at a mechanical product yeah. is our ability to deliver us 800 pound refrigerator without scratching floors or damaging premises, being able to hook it up. Installations become big as, as, as you know, I mean, our population is aged. A lot of people our age don't want to install it anymore. Um, it's being able to show you how to use it, to be able to repair it and service it. To be able to give people, um, you know, my airline, I was, I was, I was a uh, click to chat was like 55. That was the number when I started. I want people to be able to click to chat now. And when there's a problem, I want them to be able to get help now. So really what we want to do is, is make that tangible product an intangible product. And, and in, in our own way, become a brand that, that people want to buy from that sells brands rather than the reverse. Um, to be able to be impartial on how we want, how we, to take your needs as a person, not say, we're gonna sell you Sub-Zero Wolf because that's the best and that's obviously what you want, but to take your needs and, and, and fit it to the right brand and make sure the experience after the sale is as good as it is before the sale. So that's really what we've worked on in the last you know, 10, 12 years. It's always a work in process too. We're, we're not perfect. Well, well, anything dealing with people can't possibly be yeah. perfect because experience is such a subjective term. Exactly. With that said, you know, from the article I read, and, and, and I won't necessarily state the numbers, but the, the sales impact of this shift of strategy 
um, from where you were at when you were doing quote unquote traditional advertising to your, uh, your focus on, as you said, experience content, uh, the, the videos and, and, and blog posts that you do, which are really seen, you know, unless someone knew that it was Yale, it, it comes off as incredibly impartial and incredibly personal. Um, but this was quite a, qu way before there were the platforms to distribute this messaging, the Facebooks, the LinkedIn's, the YouTube's, the, you know, this was very much in advance of these delivery mechanisms for content and storytelling. Yet you were obviously a very early adopter of this. How, how what was there a defining moment for you where you said, I'm going to stop doing it this way and I'm going to sort of bet the barn in many ways and say, I'm going to do it this way because if I look at the numbers and from what I can see, the, the growth as a result has been exponential comparatively to other players in the market or in, in other similar precedents. You know, you're giving me far too much credit um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, we kind of ran out of money in the recession. So that's certainly a part of it. <laughs> um, but really what it comes down to is, you, you know, it's, it's almost like you read books about Southwest Airlines, right? And there's books on their HR and, and, and you know, Colleen, you know, how instrumental HR was in their development. And then there are other books, there are ops books saying you, you, when, um, when, they're, um, when one of their manufacturers couldn't make the jetways, they made the jetways themselves because their ops people were that good. And then you talk about Herb Kelleher and how he infused that whole spirit of fun yet competitiveness in the fact that when he said something, he shook your hand, you, he actually meant it. And they never had any labor point of views. Um, blogging and social media is, is a part of it. But without guys like Dennis, who you talk to, yep. and, and Leo, who runs ops, and George, who runs fleet, and Tim who runs customer service and Robin who runs customer service and um, Mike Saraf and, and all the guys in the warehouse, none of it blogging by itself is it's, it's an exponential form of average of, of, of reach, yeah. but it can ricochet too, because if you're blogging about something and you can't execute on the other side, sure. it almost becomes a curse on the other side. It's almost like, you know, the, the, the person firing the missile and landing in your camp. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a lot of different things, but it was a focus on customer experience. And I, I always believed the customers wanted to know where the delivery was going to be. And, you know, Uber shed a little light on, on hey, look at, look at this app. It's there. And so we don't want people waiting for deliveries. We want competent people in service. And those people cost more. Yes. So rather than taking the 3% of, whatever it was and spending it on messaging because no one wants to hear about you talk about yourself. You're only great when other people say you're great. You're never great when people yep. say, when I say I'm great, what do you think? What an idiot, right? What a bragger. But when someone says, listen to that guy, or, you know, he knows what he's talking about, or she knows what she's talking about. That's when it becomes truly effective. Yeah. The other thing is, is having select partner brands like, like urban Bonfire is a good example why would I sell anything else? I mean, you've covered cabinetry that can survive in the outside. So already 90% of the possible options have gone because 
we're in Boston. The only thing worse than Boston may be Montreal is where you guys are based. It's like yeah. I said, I go, you, you know, you look up, um, you look up marine grade steel and there's no such term. So you never really quite know if that, if that steel lasts, but who better to trust than somebody from Montreal making outside cabins? Crazy. So, so really you talk about, about different brands that are good for different reasons. And we only partner, the average appliance store is like a hundred brands. I think we're at yeah. 30. Yeah. Um, and they're all the best brands because again, sitting in that customer service seat, what's the, what's the use to me to like sell something just to have it blow back on the other side because it costs money running service. Yep. So that's, 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 it's all part of a, it's all, it's like I, you know, we have a, a year in meetings and I always end with the same thing. A quote from a, from a, a, a staff member that, that kind of hit me at, at one point. And I always say, if you're sitting here, you're important because everybody is the person, the person, because we've lost, we don't have a brand. It's what people think the brand is any more than you have a brand. Yep. So that customer service person who, who's taking call from a customer, they're the brand in that customer's mind or the person walking in as a tech or that delivery guy who, you know, all my computers pay minimum wage. It's insane. You know, we pay a living wage to in bonuses and health and all that other stuff to everybody that works here because they're more part of the brand than anything I could possibly say about the company. So social media is part of it, but it's everything that goes with it too. Do you execute on your promises? And we spend money trying to execute. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's evident because, you know, I say all the time, not necessarily the exact the same example, but, you know, when I'm talking about the content that we create, you know, I say any, anybody can put out beautiful pictures. You can have sophisticated rendering companies today that can make it look like it's anywhere to put out beautiful finished picture. That's relatively easy to do. But I've always said to my team and to, and to Stefan, my partner, it's so important that we show the other side of it. So we will film, for example, installations happening in Brooklyn in November when everyone's in like hats and gloves to reinforce the idea of the duality of the pretty and the rugged is very important for what, for what we do. And you know, you mentioned just a few minutes ago, the idea of marine grade steel. You're right. That term doesn't exist. You know, we made the decision two, about a year and a half, two, almost two years ago, when we started making our cabinetry, we were making it in, in stainless steel because we believe that's what to do anything else. People would say, I think outdoor, I think 304 because that's what all the grills use. And we made the shift to this marine grade aluminum product. And we took some flack at the beginning for it because consumer psychology went to stainless steel equals better. And in actuality for grill and high-end appliances from Wolf to Heston to Lynx to Kalamazoo to whatever, I could not agree more, but there is no one who can convince me that it's the right material to use for cabinetry. And the reason I can say that is before we brought it to market, we did almost 300 projects locally and we have the, the scar tissue to, to prove it. So you're right. I think it comes down to 
taking certain risks and, and empowering our people. And I'm glad you said, you know, the person in customer service who's taking the call, they define the brand and the experience, not the logo and, and, the, and the website in actuality. And I think it's very, very true. Yeah, I mean, my, my daughter's four years old. Mine too. Oh, so if I had to draw the logo and she's just starting to write her name and put that on the Yale building mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and kept service and made service better, I don't think people care. You know, it's that old-fashioned thinking that we need, you know, and, I, I, and I'm guilty of it. You know, I've got golden, goldenrod yellow is the Yale yellow and, you know, all the palettes and everything else that, you know, you want stress over. But really, the logo is nothing. You know, the font, are we contemporary? Are we traditional? Who cares? What is, you know, and it's almost who cares about steel? I don't think people would care if you made it out of paper mache as an extreme example, as long as it lasted the Montreal winter. What people were looking for in outside cabinets is a cabinet that can last the outside. And if it does, you're a hero. And all the pictures that go with it, they're part of a wonderful story. It's unique. But the moment it doesn't, those wonderful pictures become a curse of like, they, they baited and switched me. They, you know, this obviously doesn't work and everything else. I mean, it's like, you know, execution is, is kind of the um, currency execution is part of trust and trust is the power that, 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 that powers the internet of who are you going to, who are you going to make your next purchase to? Absolutely right. I'd like to shift and get your thoughts. And I know that last week you did a, a, um, I, I guess a, a podcast or a digital podcast on outdoors. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this first, as I, you know, help me understand Yale, I guess over the last year and a half or two has made a major focus in outdoor as have many luxury appliance uh, specialty retailers across across North America. And there was always this historic lag and you'd go into an incredible showroom and you'd see indoor product displayed in beautiful vignettes with gorgeous accessories and cabinetry and cabinet, like so much time. If you think about even the idea of like the wolf living kitchen, like unbelievable thought and care into the indoor aesthetic of that touch point of experience for the consumer. And in not in all cases, but in almost all cases that I know of, the outdoor lag in a huge way, it was barbecues off to the corner, or as you mentioned earlier, one of these quote unquote islands that the distributor or manufacturer sort of put in just to sort of show their product. And I found that for a long time, there was real disconnect in that because I believe that the, I, I, I am self-aware and realistic and pragmatic enough to know that an indoor kitchen is a need and an outdoor one is a want. I, I, I get those two things. But I can also say with confidence that if you look at the so many of the great joys and memories that are made, cooking, familial, friends, a lot of that happens in outdoor environments. Why do you think for such a long piece of history, the outdoors was positioned so differently as the secondary or the afterthought or the by the way or the oh if you want I can get you one of the tell me help me understand why you think that was I give you two reasons for that 
please. Um, the first thing is the weather. I mean, people perceive, especially, in, and this is what's shocking to me, is the greatest concentration of barbecue displays is in Canada versus the US. Like we went 10 years ago, um, we were changing our operating system. And so a lot of the Canadian retailers and actually the, 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 uh, the ERP providers is in Vancouver. So we traveled around at some of the retailers that were the same size. And I'm like, I can't believe the barbecue displays. I mean, mm -hmm. it was shocking. But what people perceive is, is that the weather will stop them from using the, uh, from using the unit, which may or may not be true. But the second thing, and maybe this is the third thing is, I mean, what were you going to sell 10 years ago for outside, you know, before mm -hmm. urban, before an urban bonfire, here's what you're going to do. You're going to buy one of these awful prefab displays that just look terrible and weather terrible. And, and, uh, or you're going to buy, you're going to get a custom stainless steel island from a local guy that was going to be just so expensive. You were going to project manage the whole thing and it was going to be awful. It's going to be a, a, an absolute horror show to do. So you didn't do it. Um, but along comes better. And I think a lot of the grill manufacturers got better. Lynx is better. You know most yep. of them too right now. Uh, Heston is... Hessen is the only other island that I would even recommend, although it's like $20,000 for their island. Um, they do a nice job. Kalamazoo does a great job. And there's a lot more accessories. There's a lot more you can do. And in, in, the pot, in, in, in the presentation, I showed the first slide of like this grill. And that was our big grill kitchen back when I started in 1986. You had a grill. There's your outside kitchen. Nowadays, if you really plan it right, you can really have a, a really beautiful outside, functional outside kitchen in ways that 36 years ago when I started full-time, I would never even dream about, right? Now there's products, there's pizza ovens, there's um, smokers, yep. there's good smokers too. There's mm -hmm. um, all kinds of, of things where the outside is arguably better than the inside to cook it. And then you don't have to worry about the heat, residual steam, all that stuff, if you yep. plan it right. And so I, I think that's part of it. The other part is, and is that COVID has changed the way we look at our house, yes. right? Um, not just outside kitchens, you know, uh, one of my friends is a pool guy, his leads were up 700% year on year. Mm -hmm. um, because we're not taking our fancy European vacations. We're not, spending money on anything but a house. So right now, can we, can we put that $15,000 and have a fully functional kitchen? Well, you know, a, 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 a uh, urban bonfire kitchen is $7,500. You put some nice stuff in there. You can have something really functional at 20. Yep. Um, and I think a lot of people are looking at return on investment from housing, uh, how to make their living space better. So I think a lot of it, but I think once we get past the weather, I think that the outside has really helped from a product cabinet. You're a big part of that, obviously, where it doesn't have to be this kind of like, what do we do now? Who do we get the cabinets from and everything else? Yeah. Um, which is a lot more, it's a lot easier and a lot more convenient, a lot less stress for you to put something outside your house. 
I, I agree wholeheartedly with both or, or the, all three of your points. I would, if, if I can, I would add to it because I think it's really interesting. Um, I think one of the historic lags in this has been that um, for a very long time, women were somewhat excluded from the outdoor cooking category. There was this preconceived notion in marketing and product development that heavier and bigger was better. And this, you know, almost man make fire, man beat chess, caveman sort of thing. And, you know, brands that you've mentioned just now have over the last several years really introduced features and benefits and colors and aesthetic that has now not only, you know, it has welcomed women into this category for a very long time. They felt that they were not, it was not really part of. So I think that's been a huge factor in this. I, yeah, think, I, I think they make it easy, but let's put it this way, right? Yeah. Um, we have, we our, our sales staff is now 50, 50 men and women, but let's not give, let's not give, Males credit. I mean, it is phenomenally a lot easier to grill than it is to put a recipe together on even a gourmet wolf wallop. So we're just, you know, we're just, it's just, <laughs> we're doing the easy thing. We're kind of like doing the default. But I, I agree. I, I think the outside category is, is way more exciting than it used to be because it can be a real category where you can actually add value in any weather condition and with just a little bit of planning. And and my and to your point, and it's the it's the exactly the right segue. I think for a very long time, the design professional who was part of the design of the indoor kitchen didn't really touch the outdoors. Their job kind of stopped at the patio door. Yeah. And now the fact that the design professionals are jumping into this outdoor space activation category with both feet whether that's because it is on trend, timeliness, or I believe there are now, forget about Urban Bonfire, there are far more options for uh, quality tools that a designer can work with okay. from sun and shade to heat, to color, to furniture, to flooring, to it's a room now, it's not a space. And the point you made about COVID and the impact of spending more time at home is so timely because What's truly interesting is if you look at the cost of building an indoor kitchen experience for yourself and yep. what is that cost per square foot? And then you take the cost of activating an outdoor space in its totality. What is that cost per square foot? It's 20, 30 cents on the dollar. You get unbelievable return on investment, both economically and experientially on outdoor space activation. And that is the really interesting part, I think. And I think people are waking up to it. Um, but I, I honestly believe there's still especially, I, I think when you go, one of my friends down in Florida, I helped him with his outside kitchen in 2015. Mm -hmm. And it was just another room to a Floridian. It's just the outside yep. space is another room year round. Yes. For us, it's different. And if you even look at the providers, most cabinet companies still shy away from the outside, still do. They don't know about composite materials like Decton to put on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, they don't know about how to implement it, where you start and everything else. So it's really incumbent upon us to teach the design professionals and the community of how to, how to plan one of these things because 
the, the first, you know, my, my third slide was who's going to do your outside kitchen. Yeah. Let's get it planned out first. And, yeah. you know, when you look at the, when you look at it, you guys were a big help there as well. When you look at it is here's how you plan it. Now you yeah. can do it. Now you hire the people based on what you plan because here's how you plan. So it's still, you know, North of Mason Dixon or wherever that imaginary line is, it's still, it's still kind of difficult for a, um, person to, to get it done properly i think I, I, one of the things that i was trying to solve with our system was the traditional fragmentation that the consumer would need to go through yep. to get their kitchen built they could come to yale or or luxury appliance and get tremendous expertise in the appliances access doors this is what you need but when it came time to actually build the frame the mason the duroc the this the, Unless the consumer was working with a really experienced person or firm, really hard to find, it was unbelievably fragmented and a real pain in the ass. And that to me was why, was one of the reasons why this category lagged behind. You could go to a K&B who would help you execute your kitchen, installation, countertop, all those things, but where were they for the outdoors? So I think you're absolutely right. That ability to provide that consumer with that full and turnkey experience, that to me is the secret sauce. Yeah, because really what it comes down to, and again, yeah, we always say, I always tell people, leave your marketing shoes at the door. Because what it comes down to is if I said, if, you weren't, if we weren't in the business, I'd say, okay, Ryan, let's plan an outside kitchen. And then you take it before urban bonfire say in 2017 we're not doing it because it isn't easy to do right it's not i mean who's involved is it the landscaper the mason the cabinet person is it the contractor on the inside of the house and just because you did the inside that doesn't mean he or she can do the outside so it's this whole kind of like it's kind of like i make the analogy of a pop-up and there's three people watching the ball fall down because nobody took responsibility for that for that but now 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 it's 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 much easier to do because it is. really what it comes down to is yeah i want a pizza oven yeah i want a um you know, i want a, a professional grill i'd like a smoker yeah but the moment you tell me that it's going to take six months and three people to do it in multiple bids and i've got to manage multiple bids and everything else without a working knowledge of someone to help me it's not going to get done it won't get done and that doesn't mean we're not talking about outside kitchen. We're talking about inside kitchen, garages, uh, yep. or any type of other project, vacation, or anything else you get planned. The moment it becomes over your head or it takes too much time and or money, and you don't feel like that trust or comfort factor, you're not going to do it. Yeah, absolutely true. And and you know what? So this is actually a really good point. So when you think about your, you know, historically in your Dorchester store, you took an entire very prime location as you literally are walking in and said, we are dedicating this to outdoor. And then it's a great time. I'd like to talk to you about your, your new location in Hanover because very similarly there where in historically luxury appliance has put outdoor off in the less valuable real estate or even like outside where it's, you made it the first part of the experience when someone walks into your new showroom. That's a major shift, even if it's somewhat understated or it's huge. It's really saying my prime point of experience, the splash when my customer walks in is now outdoor. 
Tell me about the thinking. It's a major shift. Well, that store is very different. It's a, it's a bigger store. But again, I mean, you, you think of Yale and you're going to see 30, however many washer dryer sets. You're going to see a ton of, we're an appliance store. You, you know, you're going to, you're not going to walk in an appliance store and we're not going to say, yeah, we've got stoves, but not refrigerators. Or we have like three or four or six or whatever. You're going to see massive amounts of whatever it is you're looking for. But what you don't want to see, but what you, what, what you wouldn't expect to see is what we want to show you because it's interesting and, and, and it'll get people thinking um, about the outside. Hanover is a bigger store. That's, a, that's our biggest store. But even in Dorchester, in, in Framingham as well, um, we'll have displays in prominent locations because we want people to think about that stuff. I mean, the, I always, you know, one of the webinars we're going to have is how to make your kitchen unique. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, but our mission is to, how do we make your house more unique to your neighbors? How do we get you to enjoy your house more? Um, what do we have that's different from everybody else? And that makes us unique. And, and I always think, you know, everyone talks about brick and mortar dying. And yes, it's seeded more share due to COVID, but I, I think boring brick and mortar is dying. I think when you walk into a, an appliance store and you see mattresses, I think that's doom. I think that's absolute doom for an appliance store to do something like that. I want to show people different colors. I want to show them like different textures. I want to show them like a, like a, a TV in a hood or yeah. an urban bonfire kitchen with a pizza oven with, you know, with side burners. I want to show them smokers and what a smoker is and why you shouldn't buy just a smoker. Um, because it'll make me, it'll make it interesting. It'll make more of a, a appeal to go to a store. If you're just walking to an appliance store, appliance stores are kind of like for guys, anyway, going into a shoe store. It's just not something we like to do. Yeah. And, and for women, it's, it's not any better, usually. So we want to show, I want to show you like a, a blue star range, like in blue and, 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 and brass or, yeah. or, you know, Fisher Pickell double induction, double commercial burner. And, and Urban Bonfire plays a big part of that because you have the, the cabinets that look good and go on the outside, which is something that still give yourself a little more credit. It's, it's not really easy to find. So that's why we I, did it because it's unexpected and it makes it kind of worth the trip. I, I appreciate that. And, and again, uh, you give us maybe a little too much credit and, and I thank you, but one of the things I also realized, and, and you made a very good point that just walking into quote unquote, or the idea that brick and mortar is, is dying. You know, I think for, too many, the term brick and mortar is not defined. That if it's retail, it's brick and mortar. And, and I think that's a big crock because you walk it to, I don't care where you are in the world, you look into an Apple store and that's brick and mortar and it is alive and full of experience. And, you know, walk into your store and, and, and I happen to be there for, uh, for a couple of events and there are chefs cooking and this is not just browse, this is alive retail. Yep. And- I see, uh, you know, you have chefs, you have people cooking on stuff. It's, it's really, it feels like it's, it feels like there is a premeditation to make it fun and make it part of the journey. And it, it didn't ever feel like you have to buy something today. It's that we want you to welcome you into this, 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 this campsite of experience 
And whether you're buying today or you're buying in a year or two, I want to be part of the, the life cycle. It's that, it's that idea of lifetime value of customer. And without even being able to articulate it, being there, I could feel it. And that is, that's not, it's not an easy thing to accomplish. And was this someone saying to you, do this, or was this just natural progression and evolution and seeing what worked tweaking? Like, how did this, how did this come to be? Because it now feels very much like in many places, almost like the norm, but it wasn't the norm when you started doing it. No. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm kind of a student at retail. Um, all of us are. Um, Dennis, who you talked about, and, and we all look for ways. But one of the original things that we tried to do is um, one of the best trips I ever took. This is like 20 years ago. You ever go to a, Bra a Bass Pro Shop or a Cabela's or any of those? I've been to a Bass Pro Shop, yeah. Great experiential retail. And, yes. and I love going down to Texas because Texas, the land is inexpensive. So they have these, they have these amazingly huge stores that we could never do in Boston because the real estate's so expensive. Um, but these are amazing stores. Like you buy a gun and you can fire the gun in one of their gun ranges in the store. You want to try, you want their big fishing company. You want, you want to fish in the store with their big fish tank and everything else. I'm like, this is such a great idea. But I always thought chefs were good because for a couple of reasons. Um, I love the whole kind of, the one thing I miss with COVID, well, there's a lot of things I miss, obviously. I mean, miss a lot of things, but um, I, I miss the whole cookie. We used to make cookies almost every day. And now everyone goes for the Yale cookie. Um, because we were going to show convection, you know, convections make the cookie because the, because the heat is distributed more evenly, you get a more even cookie. I don't think anyone stops to look and notice that the texture of the cookie is the same, but, but it, it, it added that, it added that texture of, of smell that I, that I really liked. And the fact that people like cookies, mm -hmm. um, but the chefs give you a, that, that extra level of context. Now I, I write most of the blogs, but the chefs write, plenty of them too, because they give you that context of here's what it's like to use the product. And what I want to tell people is here's what it's like to use the product. And the other thing when I, when I write, you talk about impartiality, I don't want you to buy it if you don't perceive you'll use it or like it. Right. So what I'm saying is in every one of the blogs is like, here's who it's for and who's here's, it's, here's who it's not for. And I can't do that without a chef on staff to help me do that. Mm -hmm. Right. But I love that whole kind of like the, the whole chef kind of theater to it because it's not contrived. It's very real. You know, people get to taste the food and everything else, but they get really use and care questions answered in real time um, in a way that it can't be done anywhere else. Yeah. And it's, I just thought it was just another part you know, we use marketing as a term, uh, uh, another way to just market to people, even after the purchase, we'll have people calling and asking how to use something. And we're going to be able to, to teach them how after the fact. And I think that's a really important part that a lot of people miss is like you drive the car to the lot and you don't know how to use the, 
the 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 radio kind of like the voice command radio. You want someone to be able. That's why a lot of the car dealers have become a lot better because yeah. they'll have a technologist on staff. So the chef is kind of our technologist. In, a lot of ways. in 2013, when we opened Urban Bonfire, long before I'd even thought about doing an outdoor kitchen, I'd never heard of Yale. I'd never heard of Apt. I'd never heard of Perch. I never heard of any of these people. I was in 400 square feet. And my business plan was very simple. We're going to be Williams-Sonoma for the outdoors in sea, if you've been to Montreal, in sea level real estate at best. And in our first year, you know, we had at that point more consumer facing brands. We had, you know, Kamado Joe and Big Green Egg and then these types of things. And we were this little store, 400 square feet, two people, me and one other person. And we sold 150 Kamados in our first year. And we did it by getting and, and basically signing or, or asking the reigning Quebec barbecue competition champion to do classes for people who bought. And we said, if you buy this product from us, you get to attend a series of these classes taught by this gentleman named, named Dylan Keir, who was, you know, it was a dear friend and really helped to, to sort of support. And that, was exactly what made the difference. It wasn't about the the price of the unit. It was about, you know, so many people get products and I, and I I can't even keep up with appliance with steam integration with this and you, you don't even see it now and it's not hot, but it's boiling water. And it's like trying to keep up with technical is really, really tough and can be somewhat daunting, I think, for the consumer. But show me how to use this product and really get to know it and love it and ask my questions. And you've got me. I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's incredible. And it's everything. And then we did the same thing. We brought in, we were the first company in, again, when we were, we were working with consumer, which we don't anymore. We were the first company in Quebec to have Kalamazoo. And we built an entire indoor, I, it's sitting behind me, a whole ventilated room. We used to do classes. If you bought a Kalamazoo kitchen from us, you could invite 12 of your friends and our chef would cook a dinner for all 12. And, we, and that's how we built. We didn't spend $1 on advertising ever all the way through. It was just word of mouth referral and just wow them with experience. And it sounds like it's exactly what you've done for decades. Yeah, that's, 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 that's brilliant. Um, that's, that's, that's really good marketing because again, the green, big green egg works only if you know how to use it. If you don't know how to use it again, you know, we've always, um, we've always had chef up until of course this year, uh, we've always had demos. Now we have virtual demos, mm -hmm. but it's not quite the same thing. But that's a brilliant way to do it. Now, again, you look at traditional thinking is like, take whatever money that you spend on that chef you throw it in advertising, you're going to create that same type of loyalty? No, because all you're doing is just doing what everybody else is doing. But you got to, you, you, you thought different. That's how you built a brand. I never wanted to think about um, customers. I only wanted to think about clients. Yeah, and too. I really, really thought about that, you know, even though I didn't have the words for it, then I had a, a, the idea of what is lifetime value of customer and how much that is worth. And it's, it's really, it's going, like you said, it's, it's the small things that make all the difference in the world. And it's not just that too. It's like, you know, we're on a stage, let's face it. Um, 
you know, 20 years ago, if you upset somebody, and I've always been particularly sensitive to it, um, it didn't really much matter. I mean, in the grand scheme of things. And the grand scheme of things is they'll tell their friends and they won't be your customers or it'll die out. Yeah. Nowadays, right, the consequences of not being transparent and not executing on what you say are, I mean, it could be devastating, potentially, and it is potentially devastating. Um, three, four years ago, chain store, chain restaurants for the first time in forever lost share to local places in the, it was a Yelp effect. And I think, I think it's better the way you have done it only because you mean to do it. It wasn't part of like, you know, consumer backlash. It was from really trying to create better customers, which is what we're doing. We're trying to execute on what it is we promise. Uh, and, and it seems so basic, but it's so hard to do. And the bigger you get, it's almost like there's a gravitational pull to mediocrity and dissatisfaction because you get bigger. Hey, isn't it great? We're bigger. But when the standards are relaxed, you don't have to worry about being bigger for very much longer because you're basically running in place with more overhead. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I get the sense, and again, I, I've only met you a, a few times, but I, I get the sense that you, like me, have, whether uh, whether with premeditation or in our own subconscious, have built our businesses to create the types of experiences that we would want as customers. No question. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge piece of it for uh for, for me, it's, it's, I, I built the business the way I would want to be having this experience myself. Yeah. You're no different from any other consumer. You want the experience to be good. You want your experience. You want your customers to have good experiences yeah. and they'll remain customers. And those 12 friends, how many buy at Kalamazoo? If one of them bought, or even one a month bought, or even yep. four a year bought, you know, a Kalamazoo kitchen is what 50 to hundred grand all in. Yep. Pretty yep. good mark. Pretty, pretty clever marketing. Well, it, uh, every step got us to where we, uh, where we are today. And, uh, I, um, I have never in my entire life professionally, at least been as lit up as I am every day. I am, I am in complete love with what I'm doing. And it, it's just, it feels amazing. And part of that is getting to work every day with, with incredible retailers and dealers and, and, and clients. And it's just, it's been, it's been a, a great part of my life. And uh, it should be a big part of your life. I, uh, you, you, you've done it. You've done a great job in a category that was sleepy. You know, you know, the, the, the MBAs call it um, disruption, hmm. right? Hmm. They call it, disruption you've um you 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 uh you looked at the sony uh walkman you 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 came up with the uh apple ipod good now the secret is is basically can you can can you maintain your standards keep satisfying and delighting customers and be on guard for the next disruptor that's the real challenge well that is uh that's a lot of uh you know that's trying to stay ahead and listening and refining and i you know i'm uh 
I believe the answer to that question is uh, is yes, because I have, I'm glad you said, you know, it's our big term that we've been using this year with our team is the question of standards and, you know, creating the idea of a standard of experience and excellence that we are, you know, just unbelievably proud of. And that in many cases is not beating our chest. That's saying, you're right. We were wrong. We're going to fix this for you. And that's as important as saying, wow, we're, we're growing, you know, showing the humility in, in things is I find incredibly important, both with, with staff and with customers and with everyone, it, it makes it real. And, uh, I don't take those types of things for granted. It's so much less expensive, not fighting, even when you're right, because by the time you get around to doing it, you know, you're going to do it. So yep. just do it the first time. It's, it's, it's less expensive. Customers appreciate it more. Um, we video all our deliveries. Um, and even when a contract will damage it after the fact and we have the video evidence, we're still going to help people out. Yep. We're going to do it the first time. Yep. Right. It's the same thing with you. I mean, what could go wrong in a cabinet that's built for the outside? Really not much. Not but much. when it does, you want to say, mea culpa, let me send you some doors. And you know what you yep. chalk it up to? Marketing. You make it yep. a marketing expense. Absolutely right. And we've seen it happen. And it's it's you're absolutely right. And it's worked. Steve, I, I, I've really enjoyed this. Um, so have I. And, and I want to just tell you, and, and, and again, I don't take it lightly, that you, Dennis, the team taking a chance on Urban Bonfire and bringing us in and giving us the type of exposure that you did, it gave us tremendous credibility in the market. I don't take it lightly. It was a huge, huge thing for a company of our size and in our story. And, and I thank you very much for it. It's been very important and uh, I won't forget thank, it. I appreciate I thank it. You, I thank you for executing on it, right? I mean, you still had to walk through the door, right? Right. I mean, you still had to build the product. Yep. And, and Dennis, I love him to death. Uh, we've been working together for 20 years. But um, he's um, he's he's tough, but incredibly fair. But for him to be to, for him to give his blessing, it, it's it's certainly um, it's a it's a huge feather in your cap. He only works with maybe twenty percent of the the available manufacturers. Uh, not just that, but you, you've you've been very easy to work with. Your people have been excellent. Thank you. And I've learned a lot from you guys, really. Appreciate so that. I thank you for that. Here's to uh, a long, long runway of. Uh helping our clients together celebrate outdoor spaces. I look forward to, uh, yeah. I look forward to it. And uh, hopefully uh, maybe one day uh, our daughters can, uh, can play together in Boston or in Montreal when travel allows, it would be a beautiful honor yeah. to have you up here. So it certainly makes it, it's certainly a lot easier than entertaining them ourselves. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, right, thank man. you for the time. Be is, well. uh, it's my pleasure. I'll see you All soon. the best. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. I don't know about you, but I absolutely loved that episode. I think that Steve just absolutely oozes authenticity and honesty and a true passion and care for his team, for his brand, and most of all, for his customers. I am so honored to call Steve, his team, and everyone at Yale dealer partners for Urban Bonfire. We could not be more proud to have them representing us in all of New England and beyond. They have added so much value to our business and I hope that we're starting to add value to theirs. Thanks for listening to this incredible episode with Steve. 
And as always, if you have an idea, a comment, send it to us at Urban Bonfire on YouTube, on LinkedIn, or on Instagram. And please sign up for our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Until next time, this is Ryan Bloom from Urban Bonfire. Thank you very much for listening.